God, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing this morning, Father. We thank you that you are here, that your presence is here in this room. That you, we thank you that you're pursuing hearts today. I pray that you give us grace as we just wait for you. you God <clears throat> from Joshua when it says and Joshua is talking or God is talking to Joshua and he says Moses my servant is dead now therefore arise go over this Jordan you and all these people into the land that I'm giving to them to the people of Israel every place that the sole of your foot will thread upon I have given to you just as I promised Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river and the great sea towards going down all of the sun shall be your territory. It says no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I will not leave you or forsake you. So God, we thank you today that there is a new place. There is a new place that we can step into, Father God. And that we believe today that you will never leave us or forsake us. That you will give us what we need to obey. You will give us all we need for this, for this life to live godly in your presence. Thank you, Father God. And I pray for the giving this morning, Father God. That today as we give that, um, that you bless the hands who are giving and bless the hands who cannot give this morning. In Jesus' name. Give the Lord a hand. Praise God. Please have a seat. God is good. God is good. Praise God. Uh, if you have your Bibles uh, this afternoon, please go on ahead. Uh, with the allotted time that we still have remaining, uh, turn with me uh, to Luke's gospel in chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 40. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 40. We're actually going to look at just one verse today. Luke 6.40. Jesus says there, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, somebody say everyone, everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Father, bless your word. Holy Spirit, come, we ask, and help and assist uh, both me and my brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, if the church is going to be about anything, that's going to result in it having a future. I mean, 
you guys are familiar, some of you may be, who knows, maybe a good number of you may be aware of the numbers that speak to how many churches every day in America, and also it could be said the West, are closing their doors as a result of no longer having a future. And if you're like me, you got to pause and sit back and wonder, like, why? What's going on? What happened? What did we do? What have we been up to? How is it that we could have been around doing church all this time, but now the numbers are staggeringly indicating that one church after another, and it doesn't matter the color, you take your pick, is no respecter of persons are closing shop. And we see what's happened with Europe. Some of you have had the privilege of being able to tour and travel, and you've seen not only what Europe looks like right now, you put that up against Europe's story and Europe's history. A lot of the many well-known, renowned men and women of God who God's hand was upon came out of that very region. But when you look at that part of the world today, it looks nothing like what the biographies speak of. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that what you measure is what you get. Let me see if I could ex explain that a little bit more. You see, typically, a lot of times, uh, previously in churches, especially in America, that's all I know, in the 80s, late 70s, 80s, and 90s, what you notice is the metric that was often used to be able to assess the health and the vitality of churches had to do with three Bs, bodies or butts, buildings, and budget. And so we look at bodies, in other words, like we packed it out, like people showed up. We got a building or we built a building. Look at the budget. We look at the line item at business meetings or membership meetings. Looks like it's looking pretty good. And when we went off of that, we thought that that equaled we got a future. Not only do I have a future, my children, once they take my place, they got a future and their children's children. But what we're now discovering is that measurement didn't work. That measurement was not a realistic indicator of what the church's future was going to be. I mean, after all, it's how I started out. Our doors are closing. And so apparently, that didn't work. In fact, when we go to the scriptures themselves, which is where really we should be starting, and we look at Jesus himself who gave us the mission, we don't need to come up with it from the air, we realize that's the metric. When we measure by Jesus' standards, we get what Jesus wants us to get. And the church, if the church is supposed to be about anything, it's supposed to be about making disciples. Yes, there's going to be a lot going on, a lot of activities and ministries and things going on, but those have got to take a back seat. The priority of the local church has got to be about making disciples. Jesus himself in Matthew in chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, you remember, as soon as he resurrected, he reappeared to his disciples. And what did he say to them? All authority, both in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. And in light of that, go therefore and make what? Disciples. Of how many nations? All nations. Which means if we're going to be a legit church pathway, we're going to be a church that's not only concerned about our local area, greater Dallas area, but we also have to be people who are prepared to be concerned about the nations. You've got to be prepared. We've got to be prepared to groom one another, to be prepared to drop whatever... On a dime, if Jesus calls us and be prepared to go to any region of the world, no matter what it may cost us. And so I'm wondering, it's like in, when we look at our churches, 
and we look at the message that's being communicated week in and week out, is it the kind of message, is it the kind of, is it the kind of message that's being communicated that's going to result in people over time wanting to do whatever Jesus is going to call them to do? That's what got the gospel to you and to me. That's why we have churches today where we are. It's because somebody left something somewhere to bring the gospel to where they ended up, and that person took it to leave something somewhere to bring the gospel to where we have. And we can't stop with us. We've got to continue. And Jesus says we've got to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. You see, the church has got to be a teaching church. We've got to be a church that's shaped by the word. Our individual lives, our marriages, our our families, how we bring up our children, how we're involved in one another's lives, our businesses, our professions, and the way in which we relate to them, and how we steward what God has entrusted into our hands. Our discipleship needs to shape every area of our lives. And Jesus says that's why we're supposed to be teaching everything. Not just the parts that we're cool with, but even the parts that may not necessarily sit well, at least initially. You see, here in this passage, Jesus is speaking about something within its immediate context that has to do with something a little bit different. The the ones that he has to do with have to do with the Pharisees. You see, when the Bible says the disciple is not above his teacher, but when everyone is fully trained, they'll be like their teacher, he's actually talking about these religious leaders. You see, at that time, Jesus was observing and he was watching. He's like, man, y'all got the short end of the stick. These leaders are no good, not only in what they're teaching, but even in their lives. You continue to follow them, you're going to end up in a ditch. That's why he says in verse 39, shall the blind lead the blind? Will they not both lead each other into a ditch? They will. It's inevitable. You'll notice in the context, it talks about taking a a plank out of your own eye before you remove the speck out of your others. It talks about hypocrisy. He goes on to talk about forgiveness and the need for it. He talks about being prepared to assess your own life before you start getting involved in other people's lives. He's talking about the religious leaders, and he's saying, it's amazing how much you don't even need to become a Christian. This principle works. Y'all know this. I know this. I remember before I was a Christian, I was being discipled. The question was, in what direction was I being discipled? It's not like discipleship began once I became a Christian. No. In fact, whatever it is I tune my ear to, I lend my eyes to, I give my energy and my time to, whether it's a person, athletes, celebrities, somebody's gram, somebody's social media platform, whatever it is that I'm consuming, guess what? Sooner or later... I'm going to be the product of that. In fact, all you got to do is go to the mall, be in town a little bit, and just watch people. Go to a school, go to a campus, and watch people. And you can tell just by looking, sometimes at people's mannerism, sometimes by the way they dress, sometimes by the things that are going on, I know who you're spending your time paying attention to. I know who you're spending your time buying all of their products. We're disciples. That's how we're wired. That's how we're made. And Jesus is saying, look, when he came, he rescued us because when we were created, we were created not to be disciples of just anybody. We were created to be disciples of God, our creator, 
After all, we owe it to him, like we say. You see, the word disciple means student or pupil or follower. And Jesus here says a disciple is not above his teacher, which means and which implies that discipleship is no solo journey. It requires someone other than myself. It requires others. That's why there can't be talk about discipleship and no talk about the church. I know it's popular in certain circles to talk about discipleship and to provide a discipleship path or a process without any view toward the local church. But that's foreign to the New Testament scriptures. Jesus has in view the local church's role in your discipleship. That's why if you and me are going to get anywhere in our pursuit of Christ, it's going to happen by means of the local church. That's why we need each other. That's why we need each other, brother. That's why we need each other, sister. We need to realize that Jesus has not only given us himself, he's given us one another to journey on this life, on this pursuit of following Jesus and becoming more and more like Jesus a little bit more than we did yesterday. You see, the ultimate teacher in this particular passage is who? It's Jesus. He's the great teacher. He's the good teacher. He's the rabbi. And so when the Bible says a disciple is not above his teacher, we're really talking about Jesus in the good sense, not in the bad sense like those religious leaders. And therefore, I don't arrive until I look like who? Like Jesus, which means it's going to be lifelong. It's not going to be something that's going to be accomplished over a weekend. It's not going to be something that's going to be accomplished over some summer break. No, there may be some success there. But until Jesus returns or I go to be with him, guess what? We're going to always be about this pursuit. You see, the greatest thing that God wants you and me to be about is his glory. That's why this church, if we're going to exist, is going to exist at all. We exist. If you didn't hear this already, we exist for the glory of God. Amen? We exist for the glory of God. And one of the ways in which we could put that glory on most display is by making disciples, who in turn make disciples. The greatest way you can put God on display, showcase him, right? You go to Toyota, they got a bunch of cars, different kinds, on the showroom floor to be what? Showcased. The world right now is showcasing itself. But God saved us, not so much to make much of ourselves, but so that we could now, with our lives, start making much of Him. The greatest glory that God could get is by you taking that life of yours and so using it and so spending it in the interest and the well-being, not so much of yourself, but other people that God brings across your path. This isn't just the foreign missionary's job. This isn't just the pastor's responsibility. It's everybody's responsibility. But when everyone is fully trained. Now, it doesn't say, but when the foreign missionary is fully trained. But when the person on staff paid is trained. No, 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 no. But when how many people? Everybody is trained. You see, we got these Christians, and then we got disciples. But we didn't get that from the Scriptures. If you're a Christian... You're a disciple. There's no distinguishing it. One of the ways in which I could understand what it means to be a Christian is by first realizing that I'm a disciple. It's not like I, I come to Christ and then months into it, years into it, I'm finally a disciple. I remember growing up in school, 
I hated these guys. Maybe you had them too. It's just they, uh, you know, those smart kids that just put you to shame. So you got you got regular assignments, right? That's just generally given to all the kids, right? It's like the general requirement or expectation, right? You do that, you do fine. But then there's always that kid or two or three in that class that wants to raise their hand or come forward and say, do you got anything else? Is there anything more? Do you have additional handouts? Uh, Is there any more credits? What if I were to do this and this? Will I get more points? I'm like, shut up. And you know that's the person everybody wants to see in the hallway afterwards, right? Because you ruined it for all of us. But sometimes we bring that sort of approach or attitude toward our relationship with God and the church and what God's trying to do in our lives. It's like, all right, it's like, come on. If you want to be a disciple, just be a disciple. Sit over there, all right? We're Christians. But, but what we fail to realize is when God saved us, he made us disciples. Jesus didn't say go into all the worlds and make converts. He said go into all the world and make, help me, disciples. This is important because sometimes we could excuse ourselves out of what God is trying to do in our lives, and we miss out big time. You see, Jesus here in this passage has in view every Christian as a disciple. And he says here that this disciple's pursuit, this disciple's life, aim in life, my purpose, not only individually but as a church, is to become like Jesus. You see, God's agenda in my life is his son. God's agenda for change in my life is Jesus. God's agenda for change in my life is that I look a little bit more like Jesus to where I ultimately, eventually look like Jesus. And until that happens, he ain't done with me. He ain't done with me. That's what life is about. And I'm supposed to be finding my greatest satisfaction my greatest pleasure and joy in the pursuit of that. Not anything else, that. Not only in terms of myself as a disciple, but also in terms of others that are in my life as a disciple maker. A disciple, once matured, is a disciple maker. Which means we're not getting anywhere until we not just make disciples, but make disciples who in turn start using their lives to make disciples. You see, sometimes we treat the church like a a country club. And so it's a place where we pay our dues and there are a couple of times out of the day where we show up and we get something out of it. Hopefully I got something that's going to be useful. But it's, which isn't necessarily wrong and it's not bad because there's truth to that. But we can't end there. We can't stop there. Because what God wants to do is to make sure that what we're getting, we're able to turn around and begin to offer to other people. You see, Jesus here in this verse says that everyone, when he is fully trained. Interesting, right? How Jesus refers to what should the church should be about. Trained. The church, believe it or not, get this, it's a training center. Did you know that? The church is a training center. I know in the Bible, sometimes we have different word pictures or imagery that's associated with the church that God gives us. In Ephesians chapter 5, the church is likened to uh, a bride, right? In 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2, uh, the church is likened to a temple. 
in Ephesians chapter 2, the church is referred to and likened to a, a household or a family. But notice here, the church also ought to be not a country club, but a training center. When's the last time you regarded Pathway as a training center? Is that how you brought this body of yours into this space? When you came in, I'm walking into a training center or a chapel? It's training center. I'm, I'm setting foot onto this campus as a training center. Think of a SEAL or a Marine or a cadet or somebody showing up at boot camp or whatever the facility is. Why? They're getting trained so that they can be deployed, so that they can be able to use whatever it was that they were trained to do. In the same way, you and I, brethren, are here to be trained so that we can leave this place and be useful disciples wherever it is that we find ourselves. That's what this is about. What God wants to do is take each and every one of our lives and use them. This is the mission of the church. The mission of the church is reaching people for Jesus Christ. And once we reach them, we make disciples out of them, not out of us, right? We don't turn them into us. Notice who the teacher ultimately is. That teacher is Jesus. Nobody's becoming a little neb or a little whoever or whoever's in your life becoming a little version of you. No, 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 no. Everybody, we all are sheep. There's one shepherd, good shepherd, great shepherd, chief shepherd, and his name is Jesus. And we are all growing up into him, Ephesians 2 and 4. We're all growing up into the one man, Paul says in Ephesians 4. Until the unity of the body is realized, God's not done with us. That's why we teach. That's why this book is open. That's why we want to get in. We sing the word. We pray the word. We read the word. We preach the word. It's so that you and I might be shaped and our lives might be increasingly formed so that we look more and more like Jesus. This is what this life is about. Now, even though it's ultimately, ideally about Jesus, the teacher, it's not to say that there's nothing to be said about human teachers like myself as a pastor or ministry leaders who may teach. If we have Sunday schools, we're going to be having discipleship classes or life groups or whether you'll have opportunities informally at a Starbucks, one-on-one, -on -one, there are going to be different settings in which as you begin to mature in your faith, if you're healthy, you're going to want to pour into other people. That's how I was. I started out wanting to just take it in, but eventually I was like, I want to invest in people's lives. One person, three, five, a thousand. I want to pour. It just makes sense. A woman whose body is working fine, she wants to give birth. She's going to be, it's going to work. In the same way, I want to reproduce. If you're healthy, you're going to want to reproduce. And so teachers have standards. Why? Because whatever your life looks like, if anybody's going to be a part of it, that's what their life eventually is going to look like. Whew. That threw some weight on me, I remember, in the very beginning. Because I realized, wow, I can't just be any old way. I can't just have anything come out of my mouth. Why? People watching me. People are paying attention to my life, my choices, my decision making, my character. Nowadays on social media and in person, and people are watching what's coming out of my mouth. And I know they say, I could care less. That's them. They need to mind their own, but that's the world we live in. And if I care enough as a Christian, as a disciple, and my, my aim in life is to want to point people to God, 
and to want to have a life that makes an impact, I'm going to want to toe the line in my life. Why? Because a disciple is not above their teacher. This applies to parenting. You have some parents who come to me and approach the office, I need you to talk to my kid. Why? Because he's like this or she's like that and this like this and I'm just, I'm just fed up. Okay, okay, so when did this start and what's going on? I'm seeing this and this. Okay, but, and then I begin to find out that a lot of that is found in the parent. <laughs> it's like, it's going to be hard for me to make any progress with this kid until we see what? <laughs> like some of that change in, in your life. Because kids are smart and they see things. You see? This applies everywhere. It's like I can't claim to have expectations out of my spouse or my kids or my members or my fellow brother or my fellow sister when I haven't even begun. That's why he's, he, he says in that same context, look at the next verse after verse 41. You've got to first take the plank out of your own eye before you start messing around with the speck in your brother's eye. You see? In other words, if I want to begin to have an influential role, we got to begin to see. Praying for you, Matthew. Um, so we've got to be able to see that what God wants us to do before we have an influence in other people's lives is to begin to start towing the line in our own life. Does that make sense? Because you're an influence whether you know it or like it or not. You're having an influence. And you may have all of the dreams and the desires to want to see whatever out of this person's life. But until and unless you, do, you invest and devote as much energy and desire in your own self and in your own life as you seem to do in the other person's life, they'll never, because what's speaking loudest to them is you and your life and your message, not so much what you're wishing out of them. But notice he says here, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So how, what's the metric? How do we know that we're going forward? It's this. I remember we got four kids. You guys are aware. My kids, almost everyone here. So you know, people say, how'd you do it? It's like, I don't know. And I'm glad in one sense I was blind to it. Because when we look back, you know, hindsight, it always helps you to see. But I noticed for those of you parents and Maybe this will be a little helpful and those of you on the way. In the beginning, when you first bring a child into the world, it's tough because there's not too much of an expectation you can place on the kid. They're entirely dependent upon you as a parent. And so you know it's all on you in the beginning. But if you're parenting right and you're parenting well and you're, you're investing, you realize in the long run it's not going to always be like this. With time... And over time, eventually, they're going to be sharing in some of the house duties and the responsibilities around the house and around your lives. And so it's going to be divided and shared among the family eventually. And that's the goal. But if you're constantly seeing them as kids and your only relationship to them is as parent and newborn, even when they're in, in their adult stage, then you're going to always feel the weight on you. And it's going to feel like you're never getting out of that chapter of your life. It's like, how could this kid be this age? And I feel like I, just, like, it's, like I just brought them from the hospital. So realize, in the same way spiritually, when we're first planting, when we're first going forward, you need to grow. 
You need to develop. There needs to be a proper foundation. But realize soon and eventually what needs to begin happening among this church is leaders need to begin emerging. We need to begin emerging. Leaders in the sense that you realize that you're now able to be able to involve yourself and invest yourself in other people's lives. You can take people alongside you and mentor them, bring them into your world, into your circle. You could open up the Word and begin to pour into them, and you could begin to offer them something in such a way that their own life is growing. You see, sometimes in the beginning, it may be with the select few, and that's how planting is. It's kind of like you have new babies. But eventually, what should happen in a healthy church is, with time, people should be maturing and growing. In other words, even if you're not there right now, you need to understand this should be your aim. You need to understand this should be what you're reaching for. Some of you guys, you should be itching to get in this spot right here. You should be saying, when am I going to get at it? Come on, Nip. You should be doing everything, both in shaping your character and walking uprightly and getting your doctrine right and getting into the word and established. I remember when I was your guys' age, 20, 25, 26, 23, man, I was like, I got to get my life together. I want to preach. I want to lead. I want to plant at that age. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen around the corner. It wasn't until years later. But I had something to aim for. It's like, I need to show up at your house, Pastor. I want to see how you are with your wife. I want to see how you are with the kids. I want to see what books you have. Okay, how did you do? How do you study? How did you prepare your sermons? What's your prayer life like? What do you do in, in between the Sundays? I, I want to watch. How, how do you disciple someone in the city? I want to find a business leader who's doing this. I want to find somebody who's in different settings, in different circles, in stations in life, anything that may be comparable to the one I think God may be leading to, and I want to see how they're living out their discipleship. But you've got to have that itch, ladies, men. You've got to have that drive. And it's my responsibility to get you as uncomfortable as you are where you're presently at and only allow you to remain there as long as you need to but boot you and move you along the assembly line. In other words, there's, there's going to be a process of discipleship. In the beginning, you're probably just seeking. You're interested into spiritual things. You're kind of curious. You're, not, oh, you're open. You're not knocking God or the faith. You'll hear a message. You'll show up at a service. Okay, that's fine. But eventually you're like, okay, you know what? I really need to really figure something. I can't ride this fence forever. I need to find out if Jesus is who he claims to be. You trust in him. You commit your life to Christ, you find out what happens with somebody who becomes a Christian. You realize baptism is a normal thing. So you're like, what do I got to do to get baptized? So, so you go forward because you're like, since I'm, I'm legit saved, I want to show that. And therefore, if baptism is it, then sign me up. You get baptized and you're like, you know what? I realize that church isn't just some optional thing, and I can't be at five different churches all, di- all week. I need to commit myself like a marriage. I can't be with five different women. I need to commit myself. There may be a dating season where you're trying to figure out where to land, and I know how difficult that could be, but eventually you need to land. I'm talking about this is a healthy process. And so you go from seeking God to committing your life to Christ to showing that commitment through baptism, and then eventually what ends up happening is you want to join a church, and so you finally find a church, and you want to find out what's the assimilation process. You want to find out what does this church believe? What, what do I got to believe? What do I got to be signed up for or on board with in order to be a, a member in good standing at this church? And so you go through that, that process, whatever that process looks, and that could vary from church to church. 
And now you're a, you're a member, a, a, a vital member, a recognized member, not of the larger body of Christ. You are as soon as you become a Christian, but of the local church. And so you realize that means if I'm going to become a member, the church rightfully has expectations from me. And I can't say they don't. And I got rightful expectations from those pastors. It's mutual, just like in a marriage. And then we journey together. But it doesn't stop there. Now you're a member and you realize if I'm a member and if I'm saved, God's given me a gift. Because the Spirit apportions, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each one according to how he wills. And so you got a gift. And it's the responsibility of the church to encourage that gift. And to call that gift out and to help you identify that gift. And then to create space for you to be able to have a place where you can regularly use that gift. And then what happens is you grow through whatever the means or the channels are that that church has, and that varies, and there's no fixed rule. The principle is in the Scriptures, but how that fleshes itself out could vary from church to church. But in any case, you need to be growing. You need to be growing and developing, and your life needs to be outward focused. And so even though you're in the church, it doesn't mean you're in it for its own sake. Now you're joining the church, which is a church on mission, And so you have a place to use your gifts and exercise your gifts now that you're saved and baptized and a member, whatever that membership process looks like, you're using your gifts. And not only are you using your gifts, you're active outside of the wall of the church. How? In whatever ways that the Lord is leading you, through your profession, through your schooling, through your relationships, you're active on your own and from time to time, even with God's people. You see? You're active. You're outward focused as you are seeing the Holy Spirit work. This is what it means to be that everyone, when they are fully trained, will be like their teacher. So where are you at? Where are you at? Are you somebody who, let's say, you're open to spiritual things? That's cool. You know you're welcome. This is that spot. You get a chance to hear the word, maybe connect with people, have questions that you bring. We can wrestle through them and pray through them. Or perhaps you've committed yourself to Christ. That's good, but that's not enough if you've trusted in Jesus. As far as you're concerned, you consider yourself a Christian, but have you been baptized? Because every Christian gets baptized. It's not a great suggestion, okay? It's the great commission. It's a commandment. Make disciples of of all nations, baptizing them. One of the ways in which we demonstrate our loyalty and our obedience to Christ is by going forward with this ordinance. We want to take that faith public. We get baptized. Maybe you've gotten baptized. Are you a member? Have you meaningfully, have you done whatever you can do to be able to say, you know what, I really want to be a part of this thing. I really would love to make Pathway my home. I really love to see if I could sit down with you, Pastor, and see what I got to do to be a meaningful member here. Maybe you've done that, or maybe not. Or if you've done that, if so, did you think that everything ends there? And I'm a member. Now I just sit and enjoy with the program. When they say stand up, I stand up. When they say sit down, I sit down. But as far as the other people, that's them. The singers, they do that. The, the instrument player, that's what they do. The sound guys, the ushers, the greeters, the life group leaders, whoever. The prayer leaders, that's what they do. I'm a, a member. No, we got to move forward. Remember, there's another process to your discipleship. We need to find out what that gift is that God has put inside of you, what that gift is. And it may be more than one. 
And sometimes that gift can show on the platform because if all you're looking at is, is maybe you're like, well, I don't preach. Or I don't see myself or God calling me eventually to preach. I don't have a voice. <laughs> I've never picked up an instrument. That's fine. That's fine. You see, it's our job also to work together and to create multiple spaces and ministry opportunities probably that don't even exist. There are some that are in the works we're trying to work on because we're always trying to create multiple ways because we realize with as many people as frequent pathway, we realize the ministries that we currently have can't be the only ones because as many as there are, there must be that many in terms of variety of ways that you feel like that's how I can serve. Because that's going to help you come alive. Anytime you take on responsibility, that's when you begin to find meaning. And that's when you begin to justify your place in the church. If all you do is just come and go, eventually you're going to be like, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't even know, like, what's the point? I don't even know, like, why, why did you, I even sign up for this? That feeling is going to be there. You need to go all the way. And you need to begin to have a part. It would be like me just getting married. And I got kids and I just... Come on, I just sit around. I'm like, this is boring. It's like, there's plenty for you to do. <laughs> right? And I, I begin to realize there's a role as a husband and there's a role as, as a parent. And before you know it, it's 10 p.m., I go to sleep. In the same way, there's a lot of work. And we cannot have it fall the way it's always traditionally fallen on just one or a select few. All of us are members of the body. There's no one member of Jesus' body that is illegitimate or that's unnecessary. Every single one of you is valuable and vital to what God is trying to do in this church and where God is trying to take this church. And to the degree that we all get on board and lock arms and understand if we're going to get anywhere as a church, it's going to be through all of us coming together and understanding, having this one mind, this one spirit, where we're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's what God is up to. That's what Jesus is up to. That's what discipleship is about. That's what God wants to do in your life. That's what I want to leave you with. And so take a look at your life and see where in, in those stages that I've laid out, you find yourself falling. And don't think that you got to solve it all or figure it all out by yourself. Again, we're a body. We're a church. That's what we're there, should be there for each other. Now, it doesn't mean just because you're a teacher or you're some influential capacity that you've got it all together. Oh, be around for a little while. You're going to see hang-ups. You're going to see me blow it, okay, and I'm hoping you're going to forgive me. I don't have it together. It's Jesus that does. And I hope you're going to give me grace, and I hope you're going to be praying for me in your closets, and I hope you're lifting me up so I could be the best leader I possibly can that could serve this church. And you're going to see other leaders that I'm going to raise up and I'm going to have around me that are going to be sharing in leadership, and you may be able to see things from your vantage point that may be problematic, but you know what? I hope you're going to have grace, and I hope you're going to think that you would want to have that same measure dealt and meted out to you once you assume a leadership position and others have the vantage point of looking very good at you and being able to call out things. Huh, I mean, after all, look at Jesus. Look at his band of 12. They weren't all that. <laughs> and sometimes I'm tempted to want to look at Jesus and be like, what were you thinking picking, picking these dudes? They are hypocrites. They are lousy. 
They're blowing it left and right. And yet, Jesus is like, and I love them anyways. They're mine. I want them all with their hang-ups, with their quirks. That's fine with me. And he stuck with them to the very end, even when he didn't even have to. I want to have that same attitude. The people that have played a vital part of this church are people that I recognize and I appreciate and I value. Not because they're perfect and sinless and got it all together, but because they took that initial step when they knew they had enough going on to not to. And they did. And I respect that any day. And I want to do my part to be able to nurture them, to invest in them, to be there for them. And I hope they the same in my life. And, and we're wi- willing to give each other the grace that's needed because we realize nobody's going to arrive overnight. It's a process. It's a process. And if we waited for all of us to have it together before we served our first day, nothing would be happening at Pathway. Y'all with me? And so I just want to encourage those of you who've been, if you've been in the sidelines, when you know there's a lane with a number, to get into the game. And I want to encourage those of you, perhaps, you've been trying to get at it and you've been at it, but you could feel discouraged. I want you to know, no, you're in process and you're growing and you're developing. And we're all together in on this. Amen? Let's pray. If we could stand together. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you haven't left us without your spirit and without your truth. God, I thank you for raising up disciples. God, I thank you for the work that you've done among this church and among this next generation. Lord, I thank you for the fruit that's been born. I thank you for the lives that have been reached. I thank you for the work that's yet to even be done that we haven't even seen, I hasn't seen, hasn't even even entered into our head. Lord, I pray for grace that you raise up this generation, that you put a courageous spirit within each and every one, that you help us to discover our gifts, that you help us to find our place in relationship to you and to your church and your mission through your church. Help us to realize, Lord God, that we all got a part in this, that this isn't us coming to see somebody or some few. This is all of us serving and on mission, living for you and for your glory. And so, God, I pray that you raise us up, and that you help us to be more faithful disciples of yours. God, we know that this isn't something that we're accomplishing in and of our own strength. You're with us. Jesus, you promised in that same great commission, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And notice, you promise your presence as we are busy making disciples. And so, Lord God, I pray right now, if somebody has felt like it's been a while since they've sensed your presence. Lord, I pray that you meet them where they're at right now. If somebody needs to meet you, Jesus, for the first time and know what it means to be in a relationship with you, I pray for that person that that take place right now. I pray, Lord God, if there's somebody who feels like, man, I've just been churching it, but I haven't really been on mission. I haven't really seen that I'm responsible for growing up spiritually so that I can quickly begin to be on that journey of investing in other people's lives. I thought if I just came to church or maybe even volunteered that that was it. But I'm beginning to realize that I'm supposed to be discipling people. 
I'm supposed to be pursuing people both in the church and outside of the church and finding ways to invest in their life so that they're a little bit more stronger in their faith. And so I pray that everybody own this, that everybody realize that you're calling them, but when everyone is fully trained, they'll be like their teacher. God, do this. Do this, we pray, for your glory and the good of the city that this church is in. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Praise God. God's going to do it. God bless you. Please meet and greet.